Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Melissa. I am here with Carrie Aleveld. And today we're going to be talking about the presidential field, particularly the Republican Party, uh, the Democrats. It's going to be Joe Biden as much as a bunch of cranks think that they can do something. Uh, I think that field is pretty sad. We know who's going to be the nominee. It's not even close. But the Republican field is getting quite interesting. And as we record this, Chris Christie filed his paperwork. He hasn't formally announced, but that's coming here pretty soon. And Carrie, I know you've been you've been covering both the the Republican field as it shapes up and also the opportunities that Democrats have moving into 2024, because Republicans are they're just they're not learning any lessons from 20 <laughs> from losing the 2022 election. And in fact, they seem to be doubling down. And you don't think so, huh? Yeah. OK. It, it's it. Their their whole caucus is such a shit show that now Marjorie Taylor Greene is now not pure enough for a bunch of the mega crowd. So it is it is becoming I mean, it is a lot of fun to write about, to cover, to track and uh, and to talk about, which is what we're going to yes. be doing today. So, Carrie, how are you doing? Good to have you back. Yeah, good to be back. I mean, here I am. I'm in my casual best. I got a hat on, you know, can't I definitely need a haircut. But besides that, I'm like alive and well. Anyway, yeah, I, I was it's a shame to miss. I just want to plug because I've listened to both episodes now. I was ashamed to miss last week's episode with it was so uh, good, Carrie. It I know so we're good. organizing Afton Ben or Bain. Yeah, Afton, Bain, Bain. Bain. It was so good. And then the week but week before that, we had um we had the Nat the North Carolina Democratic Party chair who's young and full of vigor and great ideas and very smart, sharp as attack, um, Anderson Clayton. And the two of them both talked about organizing in rural areas and having come from rural areas and organizing, um, moving back to those areas, you know, how much hope it gives uh, Democrats in those areas who feel like they've been left behind. And I think one of your insights towards the end was was key, which is as a as a coastal elite, you were like, I realize now, based on what you're saying, like, I don't have any issues with any of the things that you got that you guys are pushing, like, It used to be, hey, coastal elites, you're going to have to, in order for us to get rural voters, you're going to have to like tone down some of your progressive ideas about, yeah, yeah, it's we're going to be Republicans, but a little less horrible than the Republicans. So yeah, we're still going to cut social security, but we're not going to cut it as deeply as Republicans. Yeah. For us. And yeah, clearly it did not work. Yeah. What is what was so refreshing? Also, can I just say, yeah, during that time, it was also we're going to be pro LGBT, but only behind closed doors. Oh, we don't yep. have to say it publicly. Just mm-hmm. we're telling you, wink, wink, nod, nod, that we're much better for you than the the you know grossly anti LGBTQ Republican Party, which was true, and yet not nearly good enough. I mean, <laughs> it was like you know, that, hide that the was black bad. people. Like, let's not have any Latinos in the camera. Exactly. I mean, exactly. It was not. It was it was horrible. And that's not it today. That's not it. Now the Democratic Party can reach out to rural areas and to urban areas with the same message and have real appeal in terms of being pro freedom, pro reproductive freedom and bodily autonomy, especially pro LGBTQ, pro save Social Security and Medicare. I mean, you know, save the save the hospitals keep healthcare low, it, it prices low, 
insulin, you know, the whole idea of like, I want Biden's insulin, $35 insulin. You know what I mean? Like that the Democratic voter who went into a headquarters in North Carolina and said, I want Biden's insulin. How do I get that? So, you know, I mean, this is real. This is a real outreach opportunity. So I just want to if you if you're here because obviously you wanted to see me and I'm back, I'm telling you, make sure to listen if you want some inspiration to the last two episodes, one of which I was not with us. Um, and then and the, and the one before that, They're, they both they work hand in glove and they're both really inspirational from really inspirational organizers and talking about how we can really elevate the Democratic Party's margins and get to a point, who knows, at some point in the future where we're at, we could actually win some of those rural areas. So anyway. It's, it seems really trite, but it's, it's actually quite revolutionary that a party that has different messages for everybody. And this was sort of a, a hallmark of the Clinton years, right? The, the third way is that we were going to talk about things to different people in different ways. And we were going to convince them to vote for the Democratic Party. But what happened at that point is that the party stood for nothing. If you're telling different things to different people and that message does not align, then it's not authentic. And people could sniff that a mile away. And in fact, it's even worse. It's like, what do you have to hide? What are you so afraid of that you won't tell us what you really stand for? Why do you, why do you talk one way in the cities, but then come you know, here and tell us something else? Like, what are you really afraid of? And it really did speak to a Democratic Party that, that was afraid of its own shadow, did not know what it stood for, was insecure. And it really effed us for a whole generation, I think. I mean, it yeah. really created the conditions that allowed the Bushes to be elected, that allowed uh, Donald Trump to to, you know, hold the presidency for four years. And so it is freaking great. And, it you know, we've talked about this before, and I want to give Republicans full credit for handing us the freedom message because that was they owned that message, not because they deserved it, but because they were very consistent in their message discipline to keep talking about freedom as something that was inherently conservative. They, they're not even, they just give it up. They're like, nah, you know what? We're for book burnings and we're for thought control and we're for banning certain kinds of people. Uh, if we don't yep. like you, you don't get any freedom. No freedom for you. Just no for freedom white for you, Christian. Disney. <laughs> yeah, no, forget corporate, you know, forget about capital. We're not going to even pretend we're pro-business anymore. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. only, what, Chick-fil-A? Now you have a director oh, yeah. of inclusion and diversity, like you're required to by the law? Well, now we're going to cancel you two. And yeah. it's absolutely- Chick-fil-A being on the wrong side of the of the anti-woke equation is bizarro. Anyway, sorry, go and, ahead. And yeah. yeah, no, they were circulating videos of the uh, CEO of Chick-fil-A actually being nice to a black person at a at a yeah. religious <laughs> gathering. And uh, and so that was more evidence. That was more evidence that they had lost their way. They basically kind of like handed the freedom message to Democrats on a platter, and, and Democrats are like, "Yeah, we'll we'll take that." <laughs> thanks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't yeah, want thanks. it. <laughs> we definitely run with it. And as we've talked about already, uh, Joe Biden literally—I think that was his first words, right? In his uh, campaign yeah. announcement, was was freedom. Freedom. And so it's it's our word now, and it's and they're not even trying to take it back. They're not even. They're not even. They're like, it's yours. Take it. Yeah. And, and so. Freedom really resonates in rural communities because they have this whole like we're so independent and they're not without being subsidized. They would have no telephone service. They wouldn't have the Internet broadband. Uh, their farmers are heavily subsidized. I mean, it is it is a, a world that could not exist without urban and suburban taxpayers subsidizing that lifestyle. 
but they still believe that. And yeah. so and, by and they Republic- view themselves as freedom lovers. I mean, they, yeah. you know, that is a that is a self-identification that they that regardless of how accurate it really is, they they really believe that and want to embody it. Right. So. Right. Yeah. And so at that point, if if uh, Republicans are like, we're not for freedom anymore and no, no rural broadband for you and none of these things that that actually help you. And Democrats are like, yeah, we're the Freedom Party. Not saying that we're going to win rural areas anytime soon, but it begins that process. And shifting political opinions is a generational task. It takes a lot of time. I mean, we're still seeing Southern Dixiecrats holding on to their Democratic voter registration, right? I mean, long after they voted for the last Democrat, right? They're still technically Democrats. And so it, it, it's a process. And so, yeah, we're, we're winning 15% of the rural vote in some areas. Let's get that up to 20. Let's get that up to 25. And when you have states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin that are heavily rural and are 50-50 at the statewide level, winning those percentages on, on, you know, in those rural areas really makes our job easier to win, makes Republicans' job harder. And, and we can start making some real inroads. So that's what's so exciting about right. this episode. And I, I could not have been more thrilled without, with meeting both uh, uh, Anderson and uh, Afton because they were like, they're the future of our party. And if that's, that's oh, what totally. we have, it's exciting. And I, I know we were like, you're so young, you know? They're <laughs> 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 like, we're not that old. But you, said, it's, you, it's, said, you told Anderson Clayton, you look like a campus organizer. And I was like, oh my God, she's going to think that we're like cu- cutting her down. I'm like, no, no, no. We're 50 year old people who are just, you know, insanely jealous that you look like a camp- campus organizer. Anyway, she's, exactly. she's on fire. She's on fire. And just, in, and I'm not saying in terms of looks, like in terms of like her capacity, her organizing capacity, her ideas, um, what she plans to do, her energy, energy, what she plans to do in North Carolina. I mean, it, you know, and, and same with Afton, same with Afton. Vibe was great in both. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just highly recommend going back and listening to those two episodes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So setting the <laughs> stage, we have this Republican Party that is really doubling down on this weird culture war, anti-wokeness that doesn't seem to be resonating with anybody outside of the Fox News and Newsmax bubble. And more and more piling in, you know, and and obviously Donald Trump looms large, but there are some interesting dynamics starting to emerge in that field. And I'm curious, Carrie, to like get your take on that, because I don't even think people realize that there are more people running than just Donald Trump and and Ron DeSantis. Yeah, well, so by the end of this week, I think there will be about a dozen Republicans in that field. And let me just give you a rundown because I don't, I think that only a handful of them probably matter. And I don't want to like, I don't want to belabor all the points, but it's worth saying that Trump is still clearly the front runner, right? He's, uh, you know, if you look at 538's aggregate right now, he's like above 50%. He's like 53%. The closest person to him is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at like in like the low 20s. So Trump is still 30 points plus above Ron DeSantis in that aggregate. And then you drop down and you're in, you know, single digit land with uh, Mike Pence um, former UN ambassador and South Carolina governor Nikki Haley, tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, I think is how you say his name. You know, and then you've got and you've got Tim Scott who's barely registering, but he's also barely in at this point. I mean, South Carolina just, yeah. senator, uh, he's yeah, a black South Republican, so mm-hmm. um, it makes him a bit of a novelty, probably right. a net negative in a Republican primary. 
I think, you know, I, I honestly think there it could be a net positive. I, I, I think that there is a... I, <laughs> I think that Have you seen the Republican Party. <laughs> I know, but I think that there's something that they love about the idea of the notion of the black Republican with the inspirational story who embodies all the things that they talk about, like supposedly you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, Tim Scott has that sort of inspirational story. He has some, uh, he, he's a, he is, you know, born and raised in South Carolina, primarily raised by a single mother who then you go, goes on to like make good and become a, you know, extremely successful Senator, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, he's got that inspirational story. He's got a, he's got a fair amount of charisma on the stump and he's still learning how to be a presidential candidate. Candidate. I'm not saying I liked Tim Scott, but but in terms of someone who could potentially ta- take on Trump if he really gets his campaign legs under him, I, I think that's possible because he's not. I'll just say it. Someone's got to make this a one on one with Trump. Someone's got to yeah, make it. This that. is imp- this is important <laughs> context. That's the overall arching theme. If Trump is to be defeated. This has to happen because and just so people know, in a Democratic primary, the votes, the delegates are apportioned proportionate to the vote in each state. So if you win 60 percent of of the vote in Iowa, it's not exactly 60 percent of the delegates, but it's it's roughly around that area. Republican primary is winner take all. And that's how Trump won in 2016, is that he won a bunch of states with like 38 percent of the vote in a a divided primary. So there has to be one standing by the time the votes are, you know, being cast. Right. So go on. Right. So thank you for that. So there has to be someone's got to whittle this down fairly early within like probably the first or second state to just be in basically a one on one race between Trump and this person. And I think there's two people that have the potential to do that. This is a wild guess, right? Wild early guess on my part. Statistically, the the person who's m- most likely to make that happen is Ron DeSantis. Okay, um, Florida governor. He's ba- basically fashioned himself as a as a Trump mini me. He's second in the race right now. He's probably got about you know a short of all the people, all the Republicans who want to you know uh, hang Mike Pence for not. Um, you know, <laughs> handing over the election, the 2020 yeah. election to Donald Trump. He's probably got the highest name recognition besides uh, Mike Pence and all the people who despise him. Um, so, th- th- so anyway, I think Ron DeSantis, maybe I don't think he's got the retail skills to do this. I mean, we were just joking in Slack. He, he can't even... I don't even get this, but somehow he doesn't know how to pronounce his last name. I mean, what what is that, Marcos? Like this is this is not even a joke, and this is not exaggeration. There are literally different pronunciations of his last name, and he was asked, "How do you pronounce his last name?" And he answered, "Winner," because he yeah, <laughs> because he doesn't even. so. So supposedly there's DeSantis, like with the long E, there's DeSantis, just kind of like, um, you know, not putting the emphasis on it. And then there's DeSantis, <laughs> which I prefer DeSantis. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I always I lazily say DeSantis because I don't want to put the effort into saying DeSantis. So it's good <laughs> news to me that no one else, no one really, you know, because all there's the no NPR correct way. Yeah, all the NPR reporters say DeSantis and the Florida reporters say DeSantis because apparently he had sort of a a, um, a he favored that. But then no, no, he isn't actually sure that that's 
like the way to pronounce it. So he Southern so, pronunciation as he thinks it gives I mean, more credit in Alabama. I mean, what's going? I don't even know I, what's going on. I don't know. I've got room to play, is what I'm saying. So, but I mean, <laughs> what what kind? This is mind boggling. I mean, my last name is Elaveld. If someone asked me how to pronounce it, I would say Elaveld, not. Eliveld, not you know I mean, not Elivel. Like I've been pronouncing it yeah. that way my whole life. I listened to my parents pronounce it that way. I listened to my mom, you know, spell it over and over on the phone because that, you know, because people that had trouble spelling it, so she would always do it the same way. Um, in order, you know, V is in Victor, D is in David, in order to emphasize the the troubling parts. So, like, you grow up hearing your name, and somehow he doesn't. He isn't sure whether it he wants it pronounced DeSantis or DeSantis or whatever. The the, the level of inauthenticity. I mean, we're kind of we're hard harping on this because it's kind of hilarious. But the the level of inauthenticity, the the level at which he is not a good retail politician. He has this like bizarro cackle. They're pushing him out with it's his cartoonish. Wife, yeah, yeah, like cartoonish. literally cartoonish. He, yeah. he does his bobblehead thing. He is a caricature. Like he's literally like he'd be a hilarious cartoon character. Like that's, but he's not a cartoon yeah. character, so it's not that hilarious. And Karen, yeah. we called it. We said that from the beginning. Remember, we said the guy's gonna fizzle. He has no presence. He wears heels to try to give himself height. His voice yep. is thin and weak. And but that was before we even saw him actually interact with humans and it's right he's like a robot he's a he's an animatronic he's a disney animatronic in action right. and what was it uh earlier this week or maybe you know it was monday or tuesday he was at a campaign event his campaign staff was telling him that there was a world war ii vet in the back of the room and he they had to tell him like four times he just didn't care and it didn't occur to him like wow what a great photo op to go talk to this old you know, hero, this, this, this uh, yeah. greatest generation. And he finally just like waved from across the room and gave the guy a thumbs up. Like it never occurred to him the, the, the visual value of hanging out with a World War II veteran. And this is like right. basic stuff. You don't need it's, to, nobody should have to tell him. No, really basic stuff. And they're, they're rolling him out now with his wife, Casey DeSantis, who used to be a, um, uh, an anchor on TV. And, you know, she's got a fair, fair amount of presence and, um, <laughs> even when he was seated beside her at, at an Iowa, uh, you know, at an Iowa event where she was talking about how she was kind of negotiating with their three-year-old to like not write in crayon on the governor's mansion, you know, kind of a cute story and whatever mm -hmm. she's going on and on. Yeah. yeah humanizing. Right. Yeah. She's going on and on. And you could see DeSantis's eyes, like literally in the, uh, he's the glaze over. He keeps on like wiping his nose with his, with his, um, his uh the back of his hand i mean he just he like he he you know instead of like looking at his wife with adoring eyes the way any normal candidate would and being like Human. That's my, not even yeah candidate. that's my wife Human. right so they're leaning heavily on her and whether or not iowa you know republicans are going to buy into this i don't know maybe they will he has signed a six-week abortion ban remember you got to remember that regardless of where everything stands in the national nationally right now, it matters what happens in Iowa and it matters what happens in New Hampshire. And there's already stories about him leaning into the six week abortion ban that he buried at midnight, you know, uh, when he signed that piece of le legislation, he's leaning into it in Iowa and, and dodging it like no get out in New Hampshire. Right. So, so Carrie, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. uh, 
let's hold on to Iowa and New Hampshire because I think there, there's definitely there's a strategy component there. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> but before we do that, who else is in the field that that you know might be a factor? Yeah. So okay. So I think that the two candidates. I mean, I got started, and you know, who I was off, off. I just spun I mean, out. DeSantis is so fun yeah, to no, talk about. I know. So there's DeSantis. <laughs> I think statistically, he's got a good chance. I think the other person who might have a chance, and you just don't know until he's in the field long enough, is Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, only because he's a good fundraiser. He's got he's got real retail politician. He would not. You wouldn't need to tell him, "Hey, go talk to the vet in the back of the room." Um, and he's got he's got a legitimate he's like an evangelical he's like a true believer evangelical right he's not um he he's not faking it uh he has said that he would sign the this is kind of code but he has said that he would sign the most conservative abortion ban that could get to his desk as president which was kind of code for man if we could do it all i would sign the whole thing but we all know we can't get that through um congress so you know i sign whatever we could get definitely I mean, he said definitely 20 week 15 week etc so yeah i mean that's so a but anyway struggle with the abortion question and i know this has been he has a show for a long, long time. He, he, he does not feel comfortable talking about it because actually he's kind of smart enough to know that it kind of does not play in a general election. So at least he's got and that that's smart. Part, exactly. He knows <clears throat> that. But that's also a part of figuring out how to run on a national level, right? Is is you twist yourself in knots for a little while on on you know issues like that, and then eventually you you settle on the answer that works for you, works for the base, works nationally, mm-hmm. and you know, and and he is really from a Christian standpoint could mine for votes the same way that Mike Pence is going to try to mine for votes in, you know, evangelical votes in Iowa, but everyone hates him, right? The, the, the Trumpers, the, the, the cultists, the cultists hate him because he betrayed Trump and the anti-Trumpers hate him because he's a, he was a, you know, Trump stooge, right? Mike Pence. So, so he's he's got really like maybe some constituency in Iowa, but basically zero constituency mm-hmm. anywhere. So I think you've got Ron DeSantis and potentially Tim Scott who could make this a two way. I think Chris Christie matters because if anyone is going to really take direct hits at Trump, it's going to be Christie. He's premised his run on this. That means he's promised a bunch of donors that that's what he's going to do. And if he can bloody up Trump, right, with a few jabs here and there and maybe, I don't know, land, you know, something on the debate stage or whatever, then, you know, first of all, that's good for Democrats, right? If Trump's the front runner, we want whatever material Christie can hand to us to run with. Um, but, uh, it's also it's all it, it is also could benefit someone like DeSantis who really doesn't want to go straight at Trump. He's starting <laughs> to make some like, uh-huh. you know, sort of vague references to him, um, like Nikki Haley said over the weekend um, in Iowa. You know, we need a new generational leader. And and um, and DeSantis did a version of it was, you know, we need to get past um, the last several years of the Republican Party losing, you know, but he won't say Trump's a loser. He won't name him. But it, but he doesn't need to do that now if Christie gets in and really takes those swipes, right? This is really good for someone like DeSantis who wants Trump to take on water but doesn't want to be the one that does it. So this is the combination you need. Uh, these other people, Asa Hutchinson, I, I'm sorry. I don't think he... Yeah, I don't even think we need to yeah. bother with, with the rest of the field. Yeah. They're, they're pretty worthy. So let me let me give you this, this scenario because I think there is a path to Donald Trump not winning. 
And I think it's a long shot. I'm not going to, I mean, we can, I think we can agree that, you know, he's, he's a prohibitive favorite right now, but. Right. Totally. Remember that, 100%. Remember that, yep. that the Republican primaries and caucuses are winner take all. What happens if in Iowa, DeSantis pulls off Iowa, you know, cause Trump's been bloodied up. He's made the case, uh, you know, he could still talk to that evangelical crowd in, in Iowa. Then we move just a couple of days later or maybe a week later to New, New Hampshire. And let's say that Christie being more libertarian, you know, New Englandy, I mean, not that New Jersey's New England, but culturally much closer, um, he wins New Hampshire. Then the narrative is Trump's a loser. He's lost two the first two contests. And then you move on to, I don't know, South Carolina. The Republican map is, is different. The Democrats have ditched Iowa, New Hampshire, top of the, you know, front of the line, but Republicans haven't. Not, so presumably you also have South Carolina. You got Tim Scott, uh, you know, the local homeboy. Uh, and then Nevada is probably in there. There is a scenario where Trump, I mean, he, he might be competitive, but he's not, he's just losing by a hair and suddenly he's a loser. And Trump does not handle that very well. Everyone kind of expects him to sweep things. Well, if he doesn't sweep things, it's kind of, I think it's kind of like bad news for Trump because supposedly he's Teflon Don and he can get through anything and he's always winning. He's always going to beat up and, you know, he's going to, you know, I, I don't, I honestly don't think Christie has a chance in hell of winning New Hampshire. I mean, he came in sixth in New Hampshire in 2016, but I think you're right about the scenario of what if DeSantis manages to win Iowa and, you know, Trump's a second and Tim Scott manages a close third or some, or, you know, some, something like that. Um, and then, you know, Trump, Trump maybe wins New Hampshire, but isn't, you know, it's not, it's not dominant. And then you get to South Carolina and people are starting to wonder and, you know, and he's got, you have to remember that when, when this is so far off, Donald Trump could like it be in the I mean, it's possible he's in the middle of a trial for like criminal indictment. I mean, not, I, not I, that even that far off. We're talking six months, six, seven months. Yeah, yeah. Right. So so he you know, within some people think within weeks he'll be federally yeah. indicted on this mm-hmm. federal records case of mishandling classified information, potential obstruction of justice. Did he disseminate any of that? Jesus Christ. And, and um, Trump's but, not handling that very well right now. He's he's literally off in cuckoo land. All caps, yeah, all caps, raving nonsense about all the conspiracies against him. Yeah. And, uh, and so Joe Biden wasn't indicted and, and, and Hillary Clinton wasn't indicted. And, you know, I mean, like that's Mike what Pence wasn't indicted. Yeah. I, why why don't I have Mike Pence as prosecutor? Mike Pence doesn't have an anti-Trump. I mean, it's it's really crazy stuff. And so there, there's a very real scenario that he's on a campaign trail. And it's just he's like, I mean, <laughs> his campaign speeches are usually pretty conspiracy theory and pretty nonsensical. But. I mean, there's a point where, you know, even his own people may start to lose the thread. And so it's it's I actually think it's a pretty interesting um, potential. It makes a lot of sense for the field to the non-Trump field to just camp out in Iowa, New Hampshire. Oh, like totally. Literally. Oh, and, totally. And, and if they're smart, they build an organization and they start piecing together those elements. Uh, after Iowa, totally. the field will narrow dramatically. Well, and they need that. Right. They yeah. they need they need, you know, I, I feel almost certain that Haley isn't going to she just, you know, she just I, she's not going to get the traction. Pence is not going to get the traction. What they need is after <clears throat> the after New Hampshire, they needed to be a two person race. 
I mean, that's what they need. They need a bunch of people to drop out in Iowa. And then after New Hampshire, they needed to get down to two at the most three people. And let's remember that Chris Sununu, who is the currently very popular Republican governor of New Hampshire, just took a pass on getting in. And he he wrote an op-ed in, in the Washington Post and basically said, I didn't get in because there's no path for me. And anybody who doesn't have a path needs to drop out immediately, um, you know, before or after Iowa. Otherwise, we're, we're going we're gonna to be on the verge of, um, what do you say, electoral extinction or something <clears throat> like that. So, yeah, no, so I mean, and he's talking yeah. about Trump being nominated again. Yeah. And he know he he's popular. He's in New Hampshire. And I don't think he thought he could win New Hampshire. So he was like, why do I get in for a vanity run? When I'm he's you know, he's the he was he's the classic pro business, um, you know, so, you know, socially liberal Republican who w- used to be favor, you know, somewhat favored in the party and seem like they could like win. And he can't they were win the adults. in his own state. Yeah, yeah they, they were, were the, the adults. adults in a room. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are. That's that's it matters that he didn't get in because he obviously didn't. He did. I'm sure they did the polling. I know he was, you know, he was do, he was he launched. He was doing an exploration. Yeah. And there's a lot of there's a lot of vanity runs for sure. I mean, Asa Hutchinson, former governor of um, <clears throat> Arkansas. I'm not sure what he thinks he's doing. Nobody knows who he is, probably even in Arkansas. And uh, but I mean, Chris Christie has a point like he he's he's looked around. Nobody's taking Trump on directly. And I, I actually think his is a kamikaze mission. Like he, he's in oh, there totally. to take out Trump. And it's sort of totally. nobody can handle a bully better than a bully. And Christie is, is a monumental asshole. But uh, he, he tried to play nice with Trump. And Trump just mocked him for, being, for his weight and uh, just made him, you know, belittled him every chance he could on the camp. Yeah, go ahead. Let's well. Let's remember that that when he dropped out in the uh, just after New Hampshire in 2016, then he became the presidential transition person for Trump. And Trump, once he actually won, just like demoted him and put Vice President Pence over the transition team, and just like did away with all of Christie's work as the transition person. And and then on top of that. When he was doing um, debate prep, I think for 2020, Trump gave him COVID, and like for a while, <laughs> almost killed him. For what? For you almost killed him. For a while, Christie was like literally on his deathbed in a hospital, and Trump was sending people saying, "Hey, don't let you know. Please don't tell people that I almost killed you with COVID." I mean, so like, yeah, this is when he went I mean, to the debate got, with COVID, and you he, know, with Hillary Clinton, and didn't bother to tell him. No, no, Joe Biden, Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. Joe Biden. Sorry. Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah. So so, you know, he literally like he has a legitimate Christie has a legitimate bone to pick. We know historically knows how to hold a grudge. I mean, Mm -hmm. famously, he he was taken out in in New New Jersey because he shut down the was it the George Washington Bridge? Uh, Because the local mayor, the local mayor of a town right at the foot of the bridge had not endorsed him, even though he won that reelection overwhelmingly. It wasn't even close. It was like a 60, 40 or even more. Just as one small town mayor of Fort Lee did not endorse him. And so he shut down an entire bridge out of just personal vendetta. He knows how to hold a grudge and he knows how to like throw punches. And it didn't do him a lot of good in New Jersey. Right. It basically destroyed his you know political career in New Jersey. He had already won re-election, though. Maybe he didn't care. But um, if we see a fraction of that of that aggressiveness and viciousness against Trump, Christie's going to be a lot of fun 
to write about. And he may be getting a lot of attention because Trump, you know, is not going to take a standing down. So Trump's going to find no, no. completely insulting, probably something having to do with Christie's weight uh, oh, nickname. Sure. I don't know. I mean, at that point, maybe DeSantis just takes a break from the campaign trail because it's not doing him a lot of good. <laughs> and he lets yeah. that play out for a few months. Yeah. So there's so there's a chance. And and I do I do think that the um, the indictments are going to eventually weigh Trump down, even though I think he got a short term, like small short term b- bump from that, like rally around Trump kind of thing after the uh, the brag indictment for the hush money porn scheme. Eventually, people are going to be like, Jesus, are we going to are we going to lose this all over again? They, they had that knee jerk sort of mm-hmm. Trump's our guy. But eventually, I do think they're going to be like three to four indictments in and they'll be like, um, yeah. And, the, and just, know. Um, you know, we're, we're almost out of time. But just as a reminder, Trump has led them to electoral losses in 2018, 2020 and 2022. He does not have a history of winning. And even in 2016, when he won, he, he didn't win the popular vote, right? I mean, he won the Electoral College. He hasn't shown the ability to rally a majority of voters behind his vision of what the Republican Party is. And obviously, we don't even know what that vision is. There is no vision of the Republican right. Party. It's whatever he feels like in the moment, which is, uh, which is both a, a strength and a curse. It's a strength because he can, he can outflank Ron DeSantis on Social Security and Medicare from the left without any scruples. Um, just last week, a couple of days ago, he was talking about, I don't like this woke talk. Like he was, he was, he, I mean, he, he says, whatever he said, he he said, well, he said, he said, I don't like this woke talk. And then he's like, no one knows what it is. No one can define it. Then he goes, then like 11 hours later, he was on something different, some televised event. And he was like, oh, I don't know. It's too anti, it's too, it's too woke. I just, this wokeism (laughs) is really, so literally like within Within a 12 hour span. And I was like, that that for real, I was like, oh, I think maybe this anti-woke thing is good for him to like go after. And then he was using it like 12 hours late, you know, not even 12 hours later. And I was like, what? I I, I honestly, yeah, he doesn't care. He He stands for nothing for him. There's no rules for him. It's about being president and nothing else. It's personal aggrandizement. And. People, I think, I think Republicans are there, there's there, there's definitely an edge to the not Trump side of the Republican Party. And uh, and so I actually suspect that if if Christie can get in some good punches and actually land one, mm-hmm. it may dramatically change, change the equation. And yeah, he'll be the kamikaze. He'll go in. He'll 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 damage Trump as much as possible. It'll it, you know, might dramatically reshape. So Iowa, New Hampshire are going to be in, in South South Carolina right. are going to kind of be the ball game. So I think uh, so too. So I know we're about to end, and I want to leave our listeners with one last thing. Okay, which is the the other dynamic to think about because I recently wrote a piece about um, which I, I I recommend reading. I don't recommend reading all my pieces, but Democrats. If you Google Democrats can bury MAGA in 2024, there's a lot of elements of that piece where we're looking at where I'm looking at the indicators and why they are really the indicators heading into 2024 are really bad for Republicans. But here's the main theme. The main theme is that what Republican voters demand and what independent voters are willing to accept is moving farther and farther apart. And that is true on abortion. It's true on LGBTQ issues. It's true on immigration. It's true on guns. It's just it's just true. And, and the person 
Um, yeah, that's exactly what this county chair in in Wisconsin told told Politico after they got their butts kicked in that in that which party Supreme chair court race. His name's the, the Republican. Bishop. No, no, the, the yeah. Republican. Yes. Okay. Yes. Republican <clears throat> Party chair. <clears throat> and I hate to say that which county, because I am certain I'm going to mispronounce it. Oh, Fond, du La- Fond du Lake or Fond du Lac. Um, I'm totally mispronouncing it. I apologize to uh, the Badger State right now. Um, But this is what he's saying. He says, what the Republican base demands and what independent voters will accept are growing further apart. And we got our butts kicked, you know, by 11 points, right, in that race. In a 50-50 state. In a 50-50 state. And so that is the that's the dynamic. That's the opening. We've got this, you know, crazy Republican primary that's going to play out. But where the Republican base is and what they're demanding from their candidates and what independent and swing voters are willing to go for is just a divide that is growing farther the whole time, the whole time during the whole primary. And that's very good for Democrats and promising for Democrats going into 2024. I think that's a great way to end the show. Thanks, Carrie, uh, for uh, being such a wonderful co-host. As always, thanks to Walter for producing. Thanks to Paul for helping behind the scenes. And thanks to you, the viewer, listener, reader, for being part of this movement for our democracy. Conservatives aren't resting. They're trying to make this a regressive, undemocratic country. And we have to keep fighting. And I know we, we are. And, and <laughs> things are looking pretty good. And we're going to let's let's put that nail in their coffin. I think it can be let's done do next it. year. So thanks so much for being part of this movement. Love you all. Please like, recommend, let people know about us and Daily Coast. Have other people join this movement. And uh, really do appreciate you. Catch you all next week.